think first of all, I want to echo what uh, Mike said. Uh, congratulations to all you moms who are out there. I was telling our staff this morning, if your mom is living, mine's in heaven, but if your mom is living, you make sure if you can see her today, you see her. If you can't, make sure you call her, make sure. And I wouldn't do it just on Mother's Day. Uh, I will tell you, once you lose your mom, you realize how special moms are. And really, every day with mom ought to be Mother's Day. So again, all you moms, I love you. I thank God for you. Thank you for all that you do to make the families in our church and the kids in our church who they are, what they are. And uh, we certainly honor you today. And it's kind of because of that, I'm going to preach, you might call it a Mother's Day message, but it's going to be kind of unique. As a matter of fact, I'm going to confess, I want to go back and revisit a text that we looked at uh, several months ago. And I want to tell you why. And I'll begin by telling you about my parents. The earliest memory I have uh, of my parents teaching me anything, it may seem frivolous to you. It, in fact, it may seem really uh, old-fashioned, and you may not think it was a big deal. And I didn't at the time, but the more I look back on it, the more I realize it was a pretty big deal. It was important. Matter of fact, I don't know that my mom and dad ever taught me a more important, vital lesson from my life today than the lesson they started teaching me when I was just, I mean, super, super, super young. I was required to always call adults Mr. Mrs. And I was studiously required to always say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. It was never, ju never just yeah or yep. It was always with sir and ma'am at the end. Now, if you're not from the deep south, you recognize already a couple of things. Number one, adding a prefix to a person's name does, is not inherently better or worse than not adding it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, these sort of things are cultural. They're not real. I realize it's kind of a, maybe a southern thing, but there is an issue behind the issue because even though it isn't moral to say yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, or immoral not to, it is more of a cultural thing, there is something unique about it, and there's an issue behind the issue. What I didn't realize at the time, but I've realized as I've grown older and looked back on it, is the thing that my mom and dad were trying to instill in me as a young boy was not just to remember to say Mr. or Mrs. or yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, or yes, sir, or no, sir. It was all about showing respect. And they were trying to teach me at a very early age that respect is a moral issue. One of the building blocks of character that is absolutely indispensable is respect. And I don't mean receiving it. Everybody wants to get it. I'm talking about giving it. And so there is a story of a man in the Bible who one day, who would be king, who frankly had every reason not just to disrespect the one who was king, he actually had every reason to destroy this man who was king. He had every reason to want this kingdom to come to an end. But the fact that he didn't and the reasons that he didn't serve as a great minder. And here we are 2,500 years later. This man's going to teach us why respect is so very important and what respect looks like. So it's a very fascinating story. It's a very interesting story and it's kind of a weird story as you'll see in a way. But it's in a book called 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. And if you'll start at Genesis and just go east or west, however you want to look at it, you go six or seven books, you'll come to a book called 1 Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, let me set the story up. There was a man who would be king. In fact, God had already told him, you're going to be king. And his name was David. And the man that David was going to replace was a king named Saul. 
Now, here's what's going on. If you remember the story of David, we all know that when you say David, there's a name that always goes with David. What's that name? Goliath. That's right. You think about David, you think about Goliath. So here's David. He has killed Goliath. It was the greatest upset in all of history. He defeats this giant named Goliath. You think, boy, that was a great thing. Well, it was for a little while, but not long. Because after a while, it actually brought David more headaches than it did honor. So I, I don't understand. Well, David's killing of Goliath was a blessing for the nation of Israel, but it turned out to be a curse for David. Because just imagine, think about this. You have killed Goliath. There are parades in your honor. Women are falling at your feet. People are lining up to be your best friend. Your approval rating is 100% with the people. Everybody loves you, but that creates a problem. Because yes, David had killed Goliath, and in the process, he had saved King Saul's bacon. So he's the MVP of the Israeli army. He has won the, the, the Medal of Honor. He's been given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He has won the Nobel Peace Prize. He is the heavyweight champion of the world. He is the most same famous celebrity in all of Israel. Everybody wants David's autograph. Everybody wants a selfie with David. And what do you think happens to Saul? Somebody just take a guess. Yeah, he gets jealous. He gets insanely jealous. Because David's star is rising while Saul's sun is setting. So you know what Saul does? He makes David public enemy number one. He makes killing David the number one goal of his life. Because, oh, by the way, it doesn't matter what God wanted. It doesn't matter what God says. Saul happens to have a young son by the name of Jonathan. And by just, just by blood thicker than water, he wants Jonathan to be the next king. So Saul gets it in his mind, I've got a twofer. If I can take David out, people will start loving me again the way I want them to love me. And when I die, Jonathan will be the next king. So after several unsuccessful attempts to kill David, from throwing a spear at him to hiring a hit squad, none of that works. So what does he do? He says, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm the king of this nation. I have the most powerful army in the world. And I'm going to gather all these resources and I'm going to hunt David down. And that brings us to the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24. They're in a place called En Gedi. I'll be in Israel next week. We're leaving in a week or so to go to Israel. We'll go to the springs of En Gedi. I'll be right where all of this happened. It was out in a desert called En Gedi. En Gedi's a desert, but it's also surrounded by beautiful springs of water and waterfall, and there's a lot of lush vegetation, and there's these big, big caves. And Saul thinks he's got David right where he wants him because he knows David is in one of these caves. What he didn't realize is he didn't have David where David where he wanted David. David had him where he wanted him. Saul's life and his reign as king is about to come to an end, except somewhere, probably from his parents, the thread of respect had been sewn into the coat of his life. And because of that one thread of respect, Saul's life is spared. But in the process, we're going to learn three tremendous lessons that I'm going to invite you, mom and dad, to pass down to your children. And I'm going to invite you who are kids here today who still live at home to apply these principles to your mom and to your dad. Because let me tell you something. 
We are rapidly losing civility in this nation. We are rapidly losing respect in this nation. We see it everywhere. We see it in Washington. We see it on the roads. We see it in our schools. We see it in our homes. And we desperately need to go back to teaching the next generation why respect is so very, very important. So there are three lessons we're going to learn today from this story that I hope and pray you'll teach your kids. Number one, respect the principle of authority. Now, believe it or not, as we look at this story, this is why it gets a little bit weird because there's some bathroom humor in the story because Saul is looking for David and nature calls. Now, even a king has to answer the phone when nature's on the line, okay? Nobody gets a free pass on nature's. We pick up the story, 1 Samuel 24, verse 3. He, that is Saul, he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, I wish there was a gentle, classy way to put this. And the, and the Hebrew puts it about as gently as you can. But here's what's going on. Saul needs a potty break. I mean, that's just what's happening here, okay? He has to relieve himself. You say, well, what does the word relieve mean? Well, let me put it to you this way. He took a magazine and some air freshener, and that's all I'm going to say. All right, we're going to leave it right there, I'm not going to say anything else, okay? But Saul goes into this cave. Saul takes off his armor. Now he's praying that all these squatting exercises are going to pay off because he's going to be doing, you know, about to do his business. Well, while Saul is doing his business, he doesn't realize that David is in the stall right next to him. He doesn't know that. David decides up the situation, and David says, this is my chance. Saul has literally fallen into my lap. Saul has been trying to kill me, by the way, listen to this, for 10 years, David's been on the run. Saul's been trying to kill him for a decade. Now, if the situation were reversed, David knew what Saul would do to him. David's men knew what Saul would do to him. And David's men are expecting David to do to Saul what Saul would do to him. As a matter of fact, David said this to David. They said, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So here's his soldiers. They love David. They're loyal to David. David's got a golden opportunity. Now David can make things right. Now David can become the king. Now David can get rid of this mortal enemy to whom he's done nothing to whatsoever. David, here is your shot. And they've got a front row seat. They can't wait for David to give Saul exactly what he deserves. And they are licking their chops. They are drooling from the mouth. They can't wait to see the blood spatter all over that cave. And they can't believe it when David does this. <clears throat> then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And they're looking at each other in amazement. What are you doing? Do you understand who this is? Do you understand what he's trying to do to you? Do you understand what he wants to do to you? Do you understand what's really happening here? 
And so they just absolutely can't believe what David has done. Saul deserved to be killed. Saul had it coming. And nobody who knew the real story would have blamed David. And yet, even though David, all he did was just cut off a piece of his robe. Look how David responds. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Now, wait a minute. David, why are you so bothered? He ought to be throwing a party for what you haven't done to him. Why are you feeling so guilty? What is gnawing at you? Why, why are you troubled? Why are you feeling bad? And David gives his answer, and while doing so, he gives us a treasure trove of truth about what respect is all about. Because listen to what David says to his soldiers. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So, wow, I don't get it. I, I get it. I get it that you don't get it. Because when I first read the story many years ago, I didn't totally get it either. Until I came to realize that David understood the principle of authority. See, God has built authority into the very fabric of life. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Um, there, there, there's, there's no such thing as life without authority. Uh, I love sports. Well, you know me, know I love sports. I played sports when I was in school. I've always loved sports. I've, I'll always love sports. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. If you like sports or love sports, there is no such thing, there would be no such thing as any sports at all if you did not have authority. Now you, for example, I don't know what sport you played or what sport you enjoy watching or what sport you may have played in high school or college, but you think about this. You can choose the game that you play. You can choose any sport you want to participate in, but you can't choose the rules. So I used to play tennis. Well, when you play tennis, you've got to serve behind a serving line. And when you serve the ball, you've got to serve the ball in this box. And when you hit the ball back and forth, you got to keep it between the sidelines. I played basketball in school. If you play basketball, you've got to dribble the ball when you go up the court. You've got to stay in bounds. There are certain lines you can't step over. You can't take more than two steps before you shoot. Today, I play golf. There are certain rules in the game that you have to abide by. You hit a ball outside the white stakes, you're out of bounds. You hit the ball in the water, you get a penalty drop. You, put the, you play the ball where it lies. There's all kinds of rules. So in other words, in whatever game you choose, you inherit the rules that govern the game. And you got to play under that authority. So in other words, the rules govern your behavior. You don't get to play the game just any way you want to play the game. You say, but I don't want to play the game that way. Then you can't play the game because you've got to be under the authority of that game. And by the way, your only chance of winning the game is to follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, if you break the rules enough, you probably won't even get to finish the game. Sports is just like life. God has built authority into every fabric of life. God's built authority into government. God's built authority into the military. God has built authority into the schools. God has built authority into the home. Authority governs everything. Well, here was the issue. David lived in a kingdom. And living in a kingdom, he was under kingdom authority. Well, who's the king? Saul is the king. 
Saul was the embodiment. He was the walking fleshly billboard for the principle of authority. Now, that is so important you understand because here's where we get caught. A lot of people today live their life by popularity. They do what they think others think is right. And then a lot of people live by practice. They just kind of do what everybody else is doing that they think is right. Well, you shouldn't live your life by popularity. You shouldn't live your life by practice. You should live your life by principle. You do by what you do because you've got a conviction that is the right thing to do. Well, David respected the principle of authority. Saul's still the king. David is still under his authority. And see, what set David apart from his men, what set David apart from his soldiers is it's not, he didn't do what he thought was right, what he felt was right. He did what was right. See, he understood that what is right is not what we think is right at the moment. It's not what we feel is right at the moment. It's not what somebody else says is right at the moment. It's what God says is right at the moment. And one of the marks of maturity is the willingness to abide by the principle of authority, even though you may not always agree without how that authority acts. I don't want you to raise your hands because I want to protect the guilty. But I'll guarantee you somebody in here has been pulled over for speeding. And when the officer came up to you, you said, officer, why did you pull me over? He said, because you were speeding. And what did you say? I wasn't speeding. All right? I mean, let's be honest. Don't look at me like you're real holy today. Okay, we're all human. You know, you didn't go, you know you're right. In fact, you are so right, just double my fine. You don't do that. You say, no, I wasn't speeding. No, you, no, you were speeding. Now, here's the point. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't, but he's the authority. And you have to respect his authority. And one of the marks that you're mature as you ought to be or you're becoming mature is when you agree with authority, regardless, you may not always like how that authority acts. It doesn't mean we support wickedness. It doesn't mean we approve of evil, but it does mean we respect all authority unless that authority asks us to do something that is immoral, unbiblical, or unethical. Now, when you respect the principle of authority then you respect the position of authority. See, David so respected the principle of authority that when he just cut it, can you just, maybe, just, maybe, the, maybe the rope, the piece he cut off was that big. Saul probably would never even noticed it. But, Saul, but David so respected the principle of authority that he felt guilty just by cutting off a piece of the king's rope. But what David does next shows just how deep his respect went. Now watch this. Then David went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Now, it's universally recognized in every culture, still in effect today. When you bow down before somebody, especially if you get on, your, on the ground and put your face in the ground, that is the ultimate symbol of respect. You say, well, still, you say, Pastor, I don't get it, though. Saul was mean. Saul was wicked. Saul was evil. Saul was trying to kill David. I understand, but you need to understand this. 
David was not bowing before the person that Saul was. He was bowing before the position that Saul held. The issue was not, are you a good king or a bad king? Are you a nice king or a mean king? That wasn't the issue. The issue was, you are the king. Saul is still on the throne. No, he may not be the king he should be. He may not be the king that God designed him to be, but he is still the king. And David said, because you are still the king, that means you are my king. You know, there's an old saying, you've heard it many, many times, right? The customer is not always right, but the customer is still the what? The customer, okay? Customer's not always right, but the customer is still the customer. Well, you know what? That's true in all of life. The king may not always be right, but he's still the king. If, you're, if you still live at home with your parents, can I tell you something that I know is true about you? Because it's true about every kid that ever lived. Every day, you wonder how your parents got to be your parents. Every day. Every day you go, how can my parents be so dumb? How can my parents, they're, they're so ill off. How can my parents think the way that they think? And you may be sitting there saying, my parents are not always right. Hey, I'm going to make your day, okay? You're right. They're not. Maybe they weren't right when they had you. I don't know, but here's my point. <laughs> your parents may not always be right, but they are still your parents. Your boss will not always be right, but he's still the boss. Your teacher may not always be right, but she is still the teacher. Your coach may not always be right. He is still the coach. And this is not a partisan statement in any way. I'll say this, you know, whoever it is, doesn't matter. The president may not always be right, but he is still the president. So you don't confuse respecting the position that a person holds with a person that holds the position. When John F. Kennedy was elected and inaugurated as president, uh, he went to a private reception and he kind of had his inner circle there, and they were offering him their congratulations. Well, many of them had been lifelong friends. Some of them had grown up with him. They'd known him all of their life, and they were all calling him Jack. That was his pet name, Jack. They were calling him Jack. So they were coming up, hey, Jack, so proud of you. Jack, so happy you're the president. Jack, I want to congratulate you. Jack, you ran a good race. And then about that time, Bobby Kennedy walked in, who was the attorney general of the United States, and he, heard, he was hearing all these people what they were saying, and he went up to him, and, his, and he said this loudly so everybody could hear him. He shook his hand, and he said, congratulations, Mr. President. That's his brother. But he wanted to make a point. He's no longer Jack. And if you think he's Jack, you don't know Jack. He is the President of the United States. And you do not confuse respecting the position that a person holds with a person that holds the position. Now, notice how David continually addressed Saul over and over and over. He says, you are my master, the Lord's anointed. He said, he is the anointed of the Lord. In verse 8, he says, you are my Lord, the king. You are the king of Israel. Now, he's not talking about the person. He keeps adding these titles. Why does he do that? He wants his men to know. He wants Saul's men to know. He wants Saul to know. I'm not talking to you right now as a person. I'm addressing the position. 
Many of you uh, served in the armed forces, but I'm sure we've got some Marines here. The Marine Corps has a saying. You don't salute the person. You salute the rank. You don't salute the person. You salute the rank. In other words, you don't honor the person. You honor the position. Because I got news for you. You're in the military. You know this. There are good generals. and There are bad generals. And there are good admirals. And there are bad admirals. And there are smart generals. And there are dumb generals. And there are nice admirals. And there are mean admirals. But they're all generals. And they're all admirals. And they should all be saluted. Not so much respecting the person, but respecting the position. I, I think I may have told you this story before. I don't remember. I'll tell it again because I, I don't remember it. Maybe you don't. When Bill Clinton was president of the United States, I was preaching one Sunday. It was right in the middle of the Monica Lewinsky deal. And, and, and I just, I kind of got passionate, heated up. And I just said, you know, I said, Bill Clinton's an idiot. So I just, I said, Bill Clinton's an idiot. I knew the moment I said it, I was wrong. I mean, I knew it. I mean, it's like David. I mean, I'd cut off a piece of the rope. I knew I was wrong. Nobody said anything to me. I didn't get any letters or anything like that, surprisingly. But the next Sunday before I began my sermon, I got up. Here's what I did. I said, look, I said something last week that was wrong. I said something that was absolutely inappropriate. I called the president, president an idiot. And I said, I, I, refer, I, said, I, I retract it. He is not an idiot. He is the president of the United States. His office deserves our highest respect. He deserves our prayer. And I'm not trying to sound super spiritual when I say that. I just realized I violated my own principle. Because keep in mind, here's what David knew. David knew one day he would be king. He knew that. He knew his day was coming. He knew he would be in that position. And God was teaching David a lesson. David if you want people to respect you when you're the king, then you better respect the king when you're not the king. If you want people to give you what you deserve in that position, you need to give Saul what he deserves because he's in that position. Matter of fact, David showed great self-respect by respecting Saul. A man by the name of Lawrence Stern said this. I thought this was so good. He said, respect for ourselves guides our morals, but respect for others guides our manners. Now, in case some of you are struggling with this, and you may be, and you may be thinking about a particular person or particular position or particular political celebrity or whatever it may be, and you're saying, man, I'm, I, I know what you're saying, but boy, I, I just don't know. I, I'm, I'm having trouble with this. Let me give you an even deeper reason why the position of authority and the principle of authority must be respected because this is what drives all of it. The reason why we respect the person or the principle of authority and the reason why we respect the position of authority is because we respect the power behind authority. Now, now listen to this carefully. In this chapter, and by the way, two chapters later, David uses a phrase to refer to Saul six different times. In this chapter, he says it in verse 6 twice. He says it in chapter 26. He says it in verses 9. And in chapter 26, he says it in verses 9, 11, and 23. Six different times. Now, when somebody says something once, you may, they may mean it, they may not. When they say something twice, they may have forgotten they said it the first time. When somebody says something six times, they're making a point. And six different times, this is the way that David refers to Saul. He calls him the Lord's anointed. 
the Lord's anointed. So when David looked at Saul, here's what I want you to understand. When David looked at Saul, he didn't primarily see the king that was on the throne. What David saw was the God that put him on the throne. When David looked at the principle of authority and the position of authority, the reason why he saw it the way he saw it was because he realized there is a power behind the authority. So when David bowed down before Saul, he was not bowing down to the person on the throne. He was bowing down to the power that put him on the throne. He was bowing down to the God behind the authority. Because look, let's be honest. Do you think David had a high view of Saul the man? Absolutely not. You, you wouldn't be normal if you had a high view of somebody who's trying to kill you and take your life. He, he, he didn't have much respect for Saul the person. But he had a supremely, extremely high view of God. And he realized that God was the power behind the throne. Because if you said to me, so do you believe that Saul personally deserved the respect David gave him? Absolutely not. Do you believe that Saul deserved to have David bow down before him? Absolutely not. But it wasn't Saul's character that was on the line. It was David's character that was on the line. See, he didn't focus on what Saul had tried to do to him. He focused on what God had done for Saul and would do for him. So just because David was out of the will of God, in the way, or Saul was out of the will of God in the way he treated David, didn't give David the right to get out of the will of God in the way he treated Saul. So who anointed Saul? It was God who anointed Saul. Who appointed Saul? It was God who appointed Saul. And David not only respected the principle of authority and the position of authority, but the power behind all authority. You may have heard this saying before. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. Well, that's true of a king. That's true of a president. That's true of a senator. That's true of a monarch. And there's one thing we can know about every ruler who is ruling anywhere, anytime, any place, whether that ruler realizes it or not, and that is behind every ruler is the sovereign power of God. Nobody would be in office today. Nobody would sit by in a palace today. Nobody would wear a crown today. Nobody would be called Mr. President today if it wasn't for the sovereign power of God. He is the power behind all power. And David made up his mind, you know what? It is not my job to replace what God has put in place. It's not my job. It's not my job to replace what God has put in place. I'm not going to dethrone what God has enthroned. And you know what? God, you're big enough to put Saul in. You're big enough to take Saul out. And this is what enabled David to say this. Watch this. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May him be vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Here's what David was saying. You're talking about taking a guy to the woodshed. No, he didn't kill Saul. He did something worse. In a respectful way, in front of all of his men, he humiliated Saul. In a respectful way, before all of his men, he undressed Saul. In a respectful way in front of all of these soldiers, 
He showed Saul for what Saul really, really was. Because here's what he said. You may be the earthly king, but there is an eternal king who made you that earthly king. And I want you to hear me. You can try to kill me every day if you want to, but you better remember something, Saul. I am not in your hands. I'm in his hands. Ultimately, I don't even answer to you. I answer to him. And see, here's the point. When you realize everything is in God's hands, you never have to take matters into your own hands, ever. So David had taken his stand. And by the way, David gets it. David understands. I mean, don't, don't misunderstand this. David understands that disrespect to you does not demand disrespect from you. I want to say that one more time. Disrespect to you does not demand disrespect from you. And he also understands if you want to get respect, you've got to give respect. So how does this all work out? David's not laid a hand on him. David's not harmed him. David hasn't nicked him. David hasn't caused one drop of blood to flow from his body. But look what Saul is forced to say. Listen to this. Saul says, you are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him, let him get away unharmed? That's a rhetorical question. Well, of course he doesn't. But may the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today, parenthesis, because that's not the way I treated you, and it's not the way I would have treated you. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. God did for David. What if David had tried to do for himself would have never worked. Because let's roll the tape back. What if David had killed Saul? Now the immediate result is, well, he would have immediately become king. Yep. He would have taken out his greatest enemy. Yep. He didn't have to live on the run anymore. Yep. Didn't have to worry about anybody taking his life anymore. Uh, not necessarily. Because number one, here's what David would have to tell, told his grandkids the rest of his life. So, Papa, how did you become the king? I killed a man when he was going to the bathroom. You want that for your legacy? Or your son comes to you one day and says, Dad, what was it like to slit his throat when he was squatting down? You want that for your legacy? David said, no. Disrespectful people I wish I could tell everybody in Washington, D.C. this. Disrespectful people will always try to drag you down to their level, always. Respectful people will always try to bring you up to their level. 
And if I've learned anything, I've learned this. Just because someone chooses to disrespect you doesn't mean you have to choose to disrespect them. So I want to close with this because here's the lesson. Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross. He took on the sins of the world, not only out of a love for us, but out of a respect for his heavenly father, out of a submission to his authority. And God has created everyone, great or small, rich or poor, respectfully in his image. So we ought to respect the God who sent Jesus. We ought to give others the respect that God has given us. We ought to give everyone the respect of knowing everyone has been created in the image of God. But that said, here's the big question for all of us in this room. Remember I told you that authority is built into the very fabric of life. There's no such thing. You can't have life without authority. It's like sports. Here's the big question. On this Mother's Day, whose rules are you playing by? Whose rules are guiding the way you live? Whose rules are teaching you how to act, how to talk, how to speak, how to walk, how to treat your neighbors, how to handle your money, how to treat your spouse, how to parent your children? One of three things is true. I'm going to leave you with this. There's basically only three sources of authority you're going to live under. One is yours. It's my life. I'll live it the way I want to live it. When I die, I'm going to die the Sinatra way. I did it my way. That's the way I live my life. Second way is you live it by somebody else's rules. I'm going to hold my finger to the wind. Let's see what the latest poll says. If the vast majority of people are for this, I'm for this. If the vast majority of people are against this, I'm against it. The third way is his way, God's way. I don't hold my finger to the wind. I don't check polls. It doesn't really matter to me what the majority of people think, feel, or say. It doesn't matter what people think about me at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I'm living under his authority. I'm living under his principles. I'm living under this book. And all I will say to you is this. If this book is true, and the God that I talk about every single week loved you enough to send his son to die for you so you could have for eternal life and you could be forgiven of all of your sins, why would you ever want to live under any other authority? So let's pray together.